Microphone check. One, two. CC. Hello and welcome at CC. Hello and welcome at one, two, three, four, five, six. She sells seashells by the seashore. She sells seashells by the seashore. There we go. Rolling. There's a reason that documentary does better in crowdfunding. And one is it's sort of more native to what documentarians do. And two, because Usually there is an audience built in, certainly in, in social issue documentaries, but also just when you're focusing on, you know, one sport or one business or whatever, you sort of have a natural group of people who are going to be interested in getting it seen. There's a really common misconception about how to be a filmmaker on social media, and people think that it is about being on there to tell your audience what you're doing or about your project. It's not. It is about using social media to create space for your audience to talk to one another. Hello and welcome to The Documentary Life, a show that sets out to inspire and inform you on how to best live and lead your own documentary life. I am your host, Chris G. Parkhurst, and this is episode number 70. And it is brought to you by Barong Films, proud creators of Documentary Film, The Documentary Life Podcast, and The Documentary Academy, our industry-changing A to Z documentary filmmaking program that will transform you into the documentary filmmaker that you've always wanted to be. Find out more at thedocumentarylife.com slash academy. In last week's episode, we talked about the five common funding options for documentary filmmakers. If you haven't listened to it yet, I'd highly recommend going back and listening to the show since, among other things, we had a conversation with Carol Lee Dean, who is the person behind both the podcast and the very well-known book, The Art of Film Funding. Among the options that I briefly discussed in my segment was crowdfunding, a term that, I don't know, approximately 99.9% of you doc lifers are either quite familiar with or, or have direct experience with yourselves. As many of you listeners to the show probably know, Steph and I have successfully run two crowdfund campaigns ourselves on our films Journey to Kathmandu and Elvis of Cambodia. One was for DVD production and distribution, and the other campaign was for production funds, and that was, of course, is for our current project, Elvis. We ran both of these through Kickstarter, since at the time, Kickstarter really seemed to be the most recognizable crowdfund platform that was out there, although Indiegogo was pretty known at that point, but I think that we kind of liked the all or nothing challenge of a kickstarter for elvis we even we even went down and set up shop in in the long beach california for for nearly six weeks and we drove our campaign full time from down there long beach california happens to be the biggest cambodian refugee population in the u.s so it seemed like a logical place to run our campaign from as well as really start shooting some interviews the experience was fantastic, and we learned a ton. And honestly, we even gave consultation to a few filmmakers afterwards who would end up running crowdfunding campaigns themselves. We knew the game of crowdfunding pretty well. And among other places in the podcast, you can find out about some of our crowdfunding experiences by going back into the TDL archives and listening to episode number 14, which was entitled How to Run Your Kickstarter Campaign. But the last time we ran a crowdfund campaign, at this point, was nearly four years ago. And that's a lifetime when it comes to the world of independent filmmaking, not to mention crowdfunding. 
Much has transpired during that period of time. And truthfully, I don't think Steph or I would feel quite as confident counseling people on running their crowdfund campaigns, at least not at the time of recording of this podcast. Sure, the, the basics are still there. It's important to be using your social media strategy well before your campaign. It's important to be building an audience for your film beforehand, right? Yes, um, oh, and, and, and you want to be smart and creative with your crowdfund rewards. But, but, the thing is, nowadays, there are more attractive, maybe even more appropriate crowdfunding platforms that are out there for the documentary filmmaker, not the least of which is something like Seed and Spark. Honestly, if I were to run a campaign now or anytime soon, Seed and Spark is probably the first place I'd consider. It's literally built for the filmmaker crowdfunder. And because of this, filmmakers are the ones behind the platform, and they've made it about so much more than simply running a crowdfund. But hey, I'm not the one who can best tell you about the virtues of a seed and spark. I'll leave that to the founder and CEO herself, Emily Best, who will be coming on the show in just a few short minutes. And where I'd normally devote a segment led by myself before getting into our documentary industry guest segment, I don't think I'll be doing that today. Emily has too much to offer you, Doc Lifers. So we're going to head straight to that segment for the duration of today's episode. But before I do that, I do want to give a quick shout out of support and praise to fellow Doc Lifer by the name of Josh Davidsberg. Josh is one of the more vocal supporters of the program, as well as a very active member in both our TDL community Facebook group and our membership platform, Docland. And while I don't normally do this on the podcast, I do want to mention that Josh is finishing up on a crowdfunding campaign of his own on his documentary, Queen of the Capital. In fact, at the time of this episode, I think that he's literally down to the final hours of his campaign, which coincidentally, he's been running through Seed and Spark. It's been really cool to see the progress that he's making on the film as well as this campaign. So if you do have a minute, I'd encourage you to head to the show notes for this episode where I'll have a direct link to his campaign. Like I said, I think he's within 24 hours of the finish at the time of this episode's run. So especially after listening to this show, you might want to consider checking out how Josh has set up his Seed and Spark crowdfund. All right. As always, thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. Our conversation with Seed and Sparks' Emily Best coming up next on The Documentary Life. If you're anything like me, you appreciate a good checklist. I've got all kinds of checklists in my life. Every night, I'm creating my to-do list for the next day. Whenever we go camping, I have a camping checklist. Whenever I go out on a shoot, I have a checklist with all of the gear, shots, and B-roll that I'll need. So one day, I thought to myself, why not some kind of checklist for doc filmmakers? And so I came up with one. It's called the Documentary Filmmaker's Essential Checklist, and it's completely free to any doc filmmaker who wants to learn the essential aspects of making a documentary film in the modern day industry. I am all about empowering documentary filmmakers, and this course does just that. It is my sincere hope that this free course will help make your doc film's journey truly the exhilarating and rewarding experience that it can and should be. Enroll today for free by going to thedocumentarylife.com slash courses. 
I'm happy to announce that we have Emily Best, CEO and founder of Seed and Spark, on today's program. Emily, I'm very excited to have you on the Documentary Life podcast. We've had a number of people who have actually reached out to us and, and personally asked if we might be able to, to revisit the topic of crowdfunding for sure, but in particular, what you're doing with Seed and Spark. So very happy to have you on the program today. Thanks for having me. And I feel a little bit of pressure to deliver uh, whatever it was your <laughs> listeners were asking for. Right. In the research that I've done, Emily, you seem to have taken a particularly circuitous route to film and to see <laughs> and spark. It's great. It's great. Yeah. Anthropology degree, studied jazz singing in Barcelona. You've run restaurants in California. Uh, there's a bunch that has happened here that has transpired in your life. I'm curious how this has led to filmmaking and to seed and spark for you. Yeah, I'm curious too. Um, <laughs> so I do think it started in college. Um, actually, it's weird. It started in high school. Uh, my senior year of high school, I actually had to write a thesis. We, I was in an international baccalaureate program in this public school, and it was so insanely rigorous. And we had to write a thesis. And I was, I was 17 or 18, so I was like obsessed with tattoos and piercings. But I started digging <laughs> into kind of the culture behind that, and um, it fueled this interest. And that would actually grow throughout college. And I ended up writing my college thesis about this thing that was happening on the internet in 2001 uh, that looked like it was maybe a social network. Mm. <laughs> um, and it was organizing around a website called Body Modification E-Zine. And this predates Friendster and Facebook yeah. and pretty much everything you can think of. And these were people who were expressing their interest in this art form with their bodies and building these profiles and interacting with one another online. And I wrote my senior thesis about how communities of interest were going to become communities of practice and mm. people were going to start to use the internet to align around their values. Uh. Right. The, and then I was like, screw anthropology. Uh, and that was because also I, you know, um, 9-11 happened my senior year of college in the fall semester. And uh, it was clear by the spring that we were going to go to war. And that ignited an activist person. And there was a real activist spirit. So when I left um, college, you know, my, my thesis defense, the final thing I said was like, I don't, I don't think this is for me. Mm. I don't think I can do that uh, for my career. I think I... I want to pursue my values. So I, uh, I, <laughs> I fled to Barcelona and I <laughs> enrolled in a jazz conservatory uh, just to prove um, how tough I was. Um, and, uh, and I studied music there. I lost my voice, so I couldn't really continue to pursue. That was my instrument. Yeah. I landed in New York in 2008. I was waiting tables at this beautiful restaurant in New York City, and that meant all of my new friends were actors. Ah. Um, and so, and finally, one of them was like, "You should come to this class with me." Um, <laughs> and I then I started studying acting, and 
that really helped me appreciate like the purity of the art form and every single person as a primary artist, the writer is a primary artist and mm. the actor is a primary artist and the, and the director is a primary artist and even the producer is a primary artist. Like, so I started acting in theater and then I would start producing theater in New York. I started to notice that we were only really playing to other actors and white haired white people. Right. And that didn't feel good to me. Mm. Like that didn't feel like it was reaching the way that it should. And I started to think about the movies that were on the big screen that I could watch. And I thought, why are all of these, why do all of these movies make me feel bad about being a woman? So Caitlin, one night when we're all drunk enough goes, guys, we should just make a movie. It's so easy. Um, and that was the lie that changed everything mm. because we set about making a feature film and all of a sudden I was producing a feature film, which is not like producing theater at all. <laughs> Neither um, is acting. Yeah. And I would turn, it would turn out that, um, you know, the kind of movie that we wanted to shoot about female friendships and grief and struggle was not going to be captured on a 5D um, and the scope of the project got bigger and bigger until all of a sudden I was producing something closer to like a $150,000 feature um, in Maine in the summer. Um, and in order to fund and distribute that movie, um, we would have to build our own structures. So we, we built a crowdfunding kit. Crowdfunding was like brand new and not everybody knew about Kickstarter and Indiegogo. So we just built it on our own website and, and, and structured it like a wedding registry. So instead of getting us, you know, a colander and dishes, you could get us the camera and the lighting rentals and the bug spray and the sunscreen because we were in Maine. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, and then uh, when it came time to distribute the movie, um, I started doing the things that I was told you're supposed to do, right? Going to the sales markets and talking to sales agents. And sales agents would say really smart things like, well, if you could put some lesbian erotica in this all-female film, I could sell it. Mm -hmm. And what he was saying to me was, if you could make this movie for a male audience, I would know how to sell it. Sure. And I started to realize that if you were making something not for a male audience, not for a white male audience, the industry had very few things it knew what to do. That became a specialty release, right? And they suck at specialty releases, pretty much. <laughs> and that was the point at which I was like, well, I discovered this thing that I am good at, and that's producing. And what a producer has to do is they have to put together a slate of films and a business plan. And how the hell can I make a reasonable business plan when the entire industry is basically not built to successfully accomplish what I want to accomplish, mm. which is to make movies for underrepresented audiences? Mm -hmm. And that was really the genesis of Stephen Spark. Incredible. It really gives us an idea of the impetus, um, and dare I, dare I uh, say, or forgive the pun, the seed and spark of seed and spark. Uh, Emily, right. so from here, at this point, crowdfunding, it's a thing, right? And you guys have obviously... Yeah been well aware of Kickstarter and, and Indiegogo at this point, and crowdfunding is becoming yeah. a massive thing in the independent filmmaking community. When you start to build Seed and Spark, are you very intentionally yeah. building, it, building it in a way that is going to differ yourselves from, from the Kickstarters or Indiegogos of the world? It wasn't, it wasn't really about Kickstarter or Indiegogo. It was really about the needs of the filmmaker, right? right? So... <clears throat> We're interested in a couple of things, right? Number one, it's not independent filmmaking 
to have to independently finance and produce something and then wait to be picked for a festival and then wait <laughs> to be picked by a distributor. That is not independent, right? So we were interested in putting the independent back in independent mm. filmmaking. Um, and what's true about the internet for uh, entrepreneurs is not true for filmmakers, which is to say an entrepreneur can use the internet um, to get directly to a customer and then they learn all the things about how the customer finds the product, interacts with the product, makes a decision about buying the product, how, you know, how often they come back, all of these things, where they are, how better to reach them again, um, that, that allows people to grow sustainable businesses using the internet. Mm. Well, the, the film industry did not adopt the internet as an opportunity. The film industry adopted the internet as a threat. Because the film industry was entirely based around IP rights and IP licensing rights. And if that's the business you're in, then the internet, which is a copying machine, is a big threat to you. Yeah, of right? course. So rather than being adopted like an opportunity, it was adopted like a threat and kept at arm's distance. And when the platforms came along, the Netflixes and the Hulus of the world, they were like, hey, studios, we'll pay you your same licensing rights fees. And just like the cable companies, of yesteryear, we also will not deliver you any data. Hmm. And the studios were like, great, as long as you'll protect our IP rights, we don't care. You're paying fair price for that. Right. Well, this is a huge problem now because the one thing that allows the internet to be the tool for people to build their businesses, that essential data, is the thing that's kept away from filmmakers when they're distributing on iTunes and Google and Amazon and all of these other platforms. So for us, when we were building Scene and Spark, before there was like a clear path in our minds to like direct to audience distribution. Mm. Um, we were really helping filmmakers leverage crowdfunding to get that audience data they needed to make smart marketing and distribution decisions. Mm. So it wasn't just about who funded you, but where did they get your information from? How did they find you? Um, and, uh, and where are they and how do they like to watch stuff? Mm. Right. So that you can like, if all of your audience is like, I'm going to watch this on my TV, maybe you don't need to shoot it in 6K raw, right? Right, right? We wanted to really help filmmakers make smart business decisions. Um, in addition to that, crowdfunding was maturing, right? So in the beginning of crowdfunding, a crowdfunding campaign in and of itself was a news story or a novelty. And people would be like, oh, I'm going to do this crowdfunding thing. Sure. Um, by the time we were like gaining momentum, people were like, oh, crowdfunding, like, please don't send me another link. Right, right. So we really had to participate in actively educating filmmakers about how to make crowdfunding an exciting offering, not uh, an ask, right? And so where we really invested our time and money was in education. And in 2014, mm -hmm. we started traveling across the country and providing workshops to filmmakers about how to use crowdfunding to uh, get essential data that they needed and how to build um, really value into their IP uh, before they even make it. Essentially what we do is we show up and we say, here's how you build an audience. Here's the tools it takes, here's the time it takes, here's the tactics that you can use. 
And at some point in that audience building process, you will be ready to crowdfund, but mm. not before. Mm, mm, mm. And that's that's why we have the highest campaign success rate in the world. Indeed. Right? So Indeed. our campaign success rate hovers about 80%. Kickstarters is about 37%. Right, right. It's it's a tremendous success, success rate. In terms of building an audience, and we talk about the importance of building an audience here all the time on the program. So that's a big thing for us mm-hmm. here as, as doc filmmakers. What I'd love to hear from you, Emily, because I feel like in in what I've been learning about Seed and Spark prior to our conversation, there is some different, oh, I should ask you, are there some differences in the sort of the normal way that you hear about people, you know, talking about, hey, it's really important to build your audience as an independent documentary filmmaker. It's really important to build your audience before you crowdfund, before you actually do your film. What is there a difference in your in your um, in your approach to it? Now I understand the educational component, of course, but do you feel like with Seed and Spark, you guys, some of your messaging is a little bit different in terms about building your audience totally. and how to do it? Okay. Yeah. Look. When you when you submit your project to the website to you know to build your crowdfunding campaign, yeah. um, there are two rounds of feedback that you get from our team. There we go. And the first one, our team will assess like where are you with your social media channels and your email list versus your stated like financial goals. Yeah. And we'll say you're not you're not ready to hit that. Like here's some tips for. Mm. Spend the next month or two building out these things. Here are a bunch of videos and educational materials about tactics you can use. And then we think you can hit that goal. Yeah. Or you can consider staged financing where you reduce your goal a little bit and you also reduce what you're promising for that goal. You say, okay, this isn't going to get us all the way through production. This is our sort of like pre-production campaign. Mm. And you you really use your campaign to build trust and reputation and then you advance your project to the you know the next stage and yeah. this is where documentarians have really used us well is they'll use us for staged financing right mm. and as the project develops you get more footage mm. and now you have a bunch more stuff or you learn things along the way that open up new audiences for your film mm. um and actually we i just spoke to someone yesterday who has a fully financed documentary but it there is an opportunity to offer something to audiences it's a really cool art poster with like a famous artist um, that will allow them to fund um, community screening. Mm. So something that a distribution company would like never, because it's a non, they'd be nonprofit community screening. <laughs> yeah. And it's something that like they would have to finance somehow. So they're using crowdfunding to offer something super cool to audiences yeah. that will also in turn allow kids everywhere to see this amazing movie. And I think that's what I was getting to here, Emily. And, and, and which is, Part and there's much more to come here, but part of the brilliance that I have found so far with Seed and Spark is this idea that you guys are really, you have such an invested interest in who you have on using the platform. The, the, the consulting and advising, really, which is what you're talking about here, it's kind of unparalleled in terms of crowdfunding and platforms that I know that's of. True. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, it's also that our entire team pretty much is filmmakers, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. we have a vested interest in our success because we're doing this so that we also can like make an independent, sustainable living in film. So, you yeah. know, every project for us is a chance to learn more about how to build the tools um, to make filmmakers everywhere successful, right. right? We basically, you know, having humans talk to individual campaigners 
allows us to gather tons of information about what the pain points are mm. and try to solve for those pain points as we go. That's right. Um, so it's also like an important feedback mechanism for us. Part of your challenge early on with Seed and Spark is combating this sort of oversaturation of people hearing about crowdfunding. And so, you know, the fear yeah. was that, oh, great, Seed and Spark, sure, another crowdfunding platform. And so part of what you had to do is get out there into the populace and educate filmmakers and educate people on what Seed and Spark was all about. And it 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 uh, it, it it brings up I know for a fact that we've had one or two members. I know that uh, a one listener Cliff who is who uh, mentioned that he attended a workshop that that was given by I think perhaps you yourself. And so obviously that must have been part of the workshops that you guys were were giving early on. And I think yeah. that's uh that's yeah. a pretty cool thing. We still we still teach about 60 workshops a quarter now. Wow, 60 like, a quarter. We are all over okay. the place. Yeah. 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 Amazing. Amazing. Emily, another another component to this is, that I've come across is this concept of crowdfunding rallies. Can you share with us what that's all about? Because we've been out all across the country, we have relationships with filmmakers in like 140 U.S. cities and towns. And that is a truly diverse pipeline. It's diverse by race, gender, class sexual orientation, mm. age, and geography, which I think is really important. If you think about some of the films that really succeeded this year, like the Florida Project and Lady Bird, mm. um, it's partially because they were about places that we don't see all the dang time. <laughs> you mean in LA or New specificity, York? <laughs> yeah, in their specificity about those places, they were universal. Yeah, that's um, right. And I think this is a, a thing that we, you know, that kind of representation. I'm from Sacramento, so like I saw Lady Bird and wept <laughs> tremendously and felt seen in a way that like I hadn't, you know, imagined. Um, but anyway, uh, the we have this incredibly diverse pipeline. And then there are all these people in Hollywood who are like, shit, we need a more diverse development. System, <laughs> right. And the agents don't have it. The agencies don't have it. So what if we. And, and, and okay, and those those filmmakers who are from everywhere, they don't necessarily want to move to Los Angeles and pay these rents. Sure, and sure. I don't blame them. What they want to do is build independent, sustainable careers in their communities where they are at more affordable prices, because right. a sustainable career in film in Tennessee might be more like fifty or seventy-five thousand dollars a year, sure. and not the much more that you have to earn in the coastal cities. Right. So, um, so we thought, well, maybe we can be the connecting, the connective tissue. Okay. We can like we sit here in LA, we'll like drum up some of these Hollywood opportunities, and we'll distribute them to filmmakers everywhere. And what we'll deliver back to these folks in Hollywood is a truly diverse, distributed. Uh, development pipeline. Mm. And that's what we did. So a crowdfunding rally. Last year, we did one with the Duplass brothers. And this is relevant to your audience. So last year, we did one called Hometown Heroes. And Mark and Jay Duplass put up uh, $25,000 of their own money mm. and offered executive producership to up to five films. Mm. And our filmmakers, they had to um, raise a minimum of $7,500 and gather a minimum of a 1,500 followers. And then they qualified to move on to the finals, where they pitched the Duplass brothers for how much of that 25K they wanted. And we had two films that won in the end and five films that received what Mark called the first annual Oh Shit Grant. <laughs> they were $1,000 checks that he just wrote that was like, use this on the day that you've just run out of money on set and you're all looking at each other going, oh shit. Yeah, yeah, um, right. And 
53 feature films from 45 U.S. cities raised about a million dollars in 30 days from mm. 63,000 audience members. Mm. And that's what's really exciting is that by all working together on this, every everybody's, you know, it's like a rising tide sets all ships, right? So everybody were rose together. And that's 50, even though they only picked two quote-unquote winners, there right. were 53 films that raised money and gathered audience and can make their films. And that was what was really exciting to me is how much, and Mark, when we did that, we did a Facebook Live to announce the winners, and he was like, guess what? We tricked you. You all won because now you have money and audience for your film, right? Right, um, exactly. <laughs> and that was, that was always the point to me, right, is that you would do all this work to get picked and realize that in doing the work, you just picked yourself. Mm, mm, mm. Um, and this year, uh, right now, we have a rally running called 100 Days of Optimism with um, Bow and Arrow has put up uh, $25,000 for documentaries. Um, we will be running another one in the fall with the Duplass Brothers. And this time it's open to feature documentaries. It was not last year. It was oh, great. narrative. Okay. And I think we have a couple of other documentary rallies coming up. Uh, very soon. I can't announce them yet, yes. but um, okay. as okay. soon as I can, I will, and I will let you know. Excellent, and we'll post those on our site. The rallies are really just a chance to add some extra fire to a filmmaker's like audience building, like like fuel. Sorry, to an audience building fire because I think it's hard to stay kind of head down doing this thing that maybe doesn't feel like part of your filmmaking craft and mm. it's not, it's mm. a part of your filmmaking business. Right. Right. And I think we've done a disservice to artists to tell them that to be successful in art, you shouldn't have to worry about the business. Of course, I don't just think worry that's about your art. Yeah. Because it's not true. Right. It's not true. Right. We just, we wanted to give filmmakers some extra incentive to do the hard work of audience building so that no matter what, in the end, they win. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, it's it's funny that you would mention the Duplass brothers. They they executive produced um, the Netflix docu series Wild Wild Country, and we're talking with Matt yeah. and Chapway tomorrow for the program. So we're pretty excited about that. Awesome, uh, Emily. Now, you guys have something called Filmmaker Rewards, and this is not to be mm -hmm. confused at all with the idea of rewards for one, say, Kickstarter campaign. Give us some idea okay. what the rewards for the actual film filmmakers, what that looks like, and what the different levels are. Yes. Yeah. yeah, so we, we discovered that there were a lot of brands out there that are also happy to help incentivize filmmakers to do that hard work of building audiences. So as you gather followers to your crowdfunding campaign, and those are not necessarily your backers, right? Your mm. followers often become backers over time, but these are people who sign up for your mailing list to stay um, informed with what's going on. At 250, 500, and 1,000 followers, you unlock all these rewards. Um, everything from a few dozen film festival fee waivers, which can take a lot out of your budget, mm. to really thousands of dollars in, um, you know, DCP creation, uh, um, gear rental discounts, um, discounts on uh, your end credits, um, and then like all sorts of other things like a copy of Final Draft or hosting on the blacklist, right, right. Um, a consultation with Picture Motion, which for documentary creators is really valuable. Mm. Um, and then at a thousand followers, it's like, you know, G technology hard drives and a thousand dollar credit towards uh, products sold by Creative Solutions. And we transfer just signed up. So you get 
uh, uh, 11 months free on their account. So, um, yeah, like as we are out in the world and meeting partners who are like, we love your filmmakers and we love what you do. We're like, great. You want to offer them something cool? Yeah, of course. Um, Right, right, right. And sort of, you know, that's part of how we, we help. I mean, the way that we see it is like, we're now in a really privileged position, having worked in this business for as long as we are, and we're at conferences with these people, and we meet them, and there's good feeling, and how can we distribute that to the creative community that we're trying to support? Mm. And so the Filmmaker Rewards is one way that we do that. And 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 Emily, what is the percentage that Seed and Spark takes from a crowdfunding campaign? How does that work for you guys? Yeah, so we're just like everyone else. We take 5%, except that I think it's only on Seed and Spark your uh, backers can cover your fee on your behalf. Thank you. That's I was hoping you'd bring that up. And so, so the average that our filmmakers actually pay is under two percent in yeah. site fees. Awesome. You know, say a, a, a backer comes on and they have the option, whether it's a button or what have you, they have an, an option to have that fee covered. What is the success rate on that? Do you guys know? It's funny. It's actually quite a bit higher yeah. for documentaries. Oh wow! Um, it's in like the sixty to eighty percent for documentaries. It Is also it? varies a little bit by gender. We kind of notice that women do a little better getting people to cover their fees. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, so it really it ranges, but some people end up paying very, very, very minimal fees. It's pretty cool. Um, but yeah. really, on average, it's under two percent. Okay. Awesome. Emily, now let's talk about the distribution aspect to Seed and Spark. Obviously, this is yet another thing that really um, differs from certainly other crowdfunding platforms, but really is a unique thing in what you guys are doing with Seed and Spark. What does the distribution platform, what does it look like? How does it work? Who's the consumer? Who are the subscribers? What is all, how does that all, that, all that sure. work? Sure. So it's brand baby new. And the reason that we did it is we want to be able to deliver as much information about who's watching as we can. Hmm. And we're not even like, we are not even close yet to where we want to be. So it's still very much in beta. Um, The subscribers are people who are really curious about um, the world. They tend to be, we call them curious problem solvers. So these are people who are like out there looking for the stuff that they're really interested in. Um, Their tastes range wildly. So from month to month, the most watched films don't, are not necessarily corrected, connected at all. Hmm. Um, and uh, the way that it works is, you know, you submit your film to our, our head of acquisitions and he watches it. And we program um, very intentionally and intersectionally. Uh, we program things called playlists to make it easier for audiences to find stuff by what they're interested in. Right. Um, and we pay like just about the highest royalties you can get paid. So by way of comparison, if you have a feature film that's 90 minutes um, on Amazon Video Direct, you'll get paid about nine cents for a completed view. And on Season Spark, you'll get paid about twenty dollars. Good lord! <laughs> Amazing. So, much of today's episode of The Documentary Life is about finding funding for your film. 
Well, you might remember when we had film funding guru Maury Warshawski on the program. It was back in episode number 15. Among other funding advice, Maury talked about the importance of first building a foundation from which to approach potential funders. This foundation included discovering and building out a mission statement, core values, and a film vision for yourself. Maury's conversation really seemed to resonate with a lot of people, and so we're happy to announce that on Wednesday, April 25th at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Maury will be conducting a live webinar on these film funding elements on our Docland website. It will be followed by a live Q&A where members of Docland will have the opportunity to ask Maury their film funding questions. This is going to be a tremendous opportunity for Docland members to engage directly with someone who truly knows the ins and outs of film funding. And for anyone who might be listening to this episode after the April 25th live event, it's important to note that Docland members will always have instant access to any and all past webinar events through the Docland webinars archive. Along with these monthly webinars, Docland is also a place for doc filmmakers such as yourself to come to to plan, fund, make, and share your documentary film. It is a community of like-minded individuals that gather with one goal in mind, their documentary films. To get set up for Maury's upcoming webinar and to check out everything that Docland has to offer, simply go to www.doc-land.com. That's doc-land.com. I look forward to seeing you at the Maury Warshawski live event and seeing you become an integral part of this growing tribe of documentary filmmakers we call Docland. What I would love to have a, a little bit more clarification and understanding of, of Emily is the people that are subscribing, um, are they paying a monthly fee to watch films via yeah. your platform? Yes. Okay, okay. That's right. And is that connected? And if so, how so? Is that connected to someone who has their crowdfunding platform on Seed and Spark? In other words, do if I were okay, if I were to run a crowdfunding campaign through you guys and, and it was accepted through you guys, do I also need to have um, a subscriber sort of member a subscription? No. no. Okay, okay. No, totally unconnected. I so see. um the crowdfunding platform sort of works it's open just like every other crowdfunding platform. Okay. On the streaming side, if you stream with us so you do get a free account because we want filmmakers to watch each other's work. Like yeah. I think that's really important to sort of know where you are in the space you're in and be involved in promoting one another's work. In terms of tips for a crowdfund campaign, what are some of the mm -hmm. biggest mistakes that you're seeing people make when they're running their crowdfunding campaign? It's all in the preparation. Um, so what we see is people want to just get the crowdfunding because they feel like it's going to be a painful process. And yeah. so they try to sort of reduce their interaction with it. Um, and that's the most excruciating way you could ever run a crowdfunding campaign. It doesn't mean you can't be successful, mm. but your chances of success in that case are very, very low. Mm. Um, so it's really all in the preparation. You have to spend time cultivating a relationship with an audience who is not just your friends and family yeah. to learn what it is that attracts them and excites them. And that means you have to learn where people who are likely to like your film are already hanging out and talking about stuff online right. and go join that conversation. And you don't go join the conversation by being like, I have a thing you need to see, right? No. You have to actually go and join and interact and learn a little bit. And in the documentary space, this is really valuable research because I know many people oh, who have yeah. found 
subjects this way. Oh, absolutely. You know, they found, you know this is all sort of part of a documentarian's research. And there's a reason that documentary does better in crowdfunding. And one is it's sort of more native to what documentarians do. Mm. And two, because usually there is an audience built in. That's right. Um, certainly in, in social issue documentaries, but also just when you're focusing on, you know, one sport or one business or whatever, you sort of have a natural group of people who are going to be interested in it's getting It's a natural seen. in, absolutely, um, to that community. Yeah, but that work is so, so important. It is. Um, and the other thing is is really being prepared with a team. Um, this is something people will say, oh, yeah, yeah, my friend said they would help. That's not enough. <laughs> I mean, we've seen that enough times where we're like, that friend who said they would help meant they would tweet once. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so the same way that you put your team together around your film, you need a team around your crowdfunding campaign. When I did uh, the crowdfunding campaign for Fuck Yes, which is the web series that I make uh, with a group of nine women, all nine of us were working. We, we divided and conquered because we all had full-time jobs, mm. right? So everyone who was working on the series also worked on the campaign. Mm. Why? Well, we, we don't get to make something if the campaign isn't successful. Yeah. All of us benefit from the audience building that goes into it because that means all of us are likelier to have our work seen. Mm. So I think it's, it's important if you're planning to crowdfund and you're bringing on your filmmaking team to be really clear about your expectations of their participation in the crowdfunding campaign because it's good for everyone mm -hmm. if you're doing it as a, a proper audience building campaign. When when Steph and I ran our campaign, um, I'm sorry to say it was a Kickstarter. When we ran our campaign, you're for, forgiven. Yes, thank you. <laughs> this was before before we knew of Seed and Spark. Uh, we um, we ran our campaign for Elvis of Cambodia, our current doc project. We actually went down and kind of went down, you know, with our 10 month old, and we went down to Long Beach, California, where it's the you know they have the biggest uh, Cambodian American population in the, in the U S and we really ran our, our crowdfunding campaign based out of there. We gave ourselves six weeks. The campaign was just under 30 days, but we were there, you know, a couple mm -hmm. of weeks prior. And as you have, have suggested, you know, we were in the community. We were constantly talking about the film constant and, you know, talking yeah. about our crowdfund, but more, maybe more importantly, you know, in this, you know, not overt sort of fashion, we're making connections with people in that community and we're learning more about our subject and we're sharing what That's we're right. doing with our film with that community. So by the time that, right. you know, day one happens for our campaign, we really have hit the ground sort of running, so to speak. And, um, and, and, and yeah, it was great. It's so important because when you are representing someone who is from a community that you are not from, you have to do that work even more particularly. And mm. documentarians are, are much better at this because mm. you're, you're taught sort of the skills to do that. Mm. Um, but narrative filmmakers need to do the same. Our head of crowdfunding, Jerry Maravilla, um, was not always our head of crowdfunding. He started as a filmmaker who crowdfunded on our platform. Mm. And he's a, he's a Mexican-American filmmaker who made a film that starred a Filipino-American actor, and he was really, he felt very identified with the lack of representation across both Latino and Asian communities, mm. and had this very specific, very Los Angeles story he wanted to tell about this Filipino guy who gets into this backyard boxing circuit, and he spent wow. months wow. going to events 
and and just making himself a, a person who was available and trusted and curious. Well, it's, it's all about felt, the trust, right? Yeah, and 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 that kind of trust building led him to raise twenty plus thousand dollars for a short film. Yeah, that uh, and it was really like it was from the community that he meant to represent, and I think that's really a special example. Um, because like, especially right now when issues of representation are at the forefront, um, you can't get away with doing it poorly. Yeah. Right. And you shouldn't. (laughs) No, you should not. That's right. So there's a really common misconception about how to be a filmmaker on social media. And people think that it is about being on there to tell your audience what you're doing or about your project. It's not. It is about using social media to create space for your audience to talk to one another. Mm, mm, so well said. That's how I want to leave it. Yeah, exactly. It's so well said. Emily, we have a question from one of our listeners, Josh, and he asks, what are some of the most creative ways that you've seen uh, to promote one's campaign? And this is beyond the typical email list, social media posts and press oh, releases. Yeah. What else can, can a filmmaker be doing? Man, live events. Hmm. So we've seen everything from, um, you know, a concert from a a friend's band to partnering with local businesses um, to get folks signing up for the campaign uh, as they are, you know, participating in some event at a local business. Yeah. Well, and that's what we did for for our film Journey to Kathmandu. Is we held this this cultural slash concert uh, event all day long. It was pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. and I think um, you know sometimes it is also the kind of reward. So there definitely are rewards that can go kind of viral. Um, there's and there are some that are just so clever, like it it warrants um, you know press coverage. There were some guys last year who had funded their first feature, which went to South by Southwest by collecting recycling. I'm not joking. Collect. Oh, wow. And, wow. Uh, th- and this time they were offering to paint your house, right? <laughs> at certain <laughs> levels. So they were taking these, they, they sort of like promoted themselves as these like blue collar filmmakers. And they're like, we will work for wow. these, you know, these particular incentives. And that, <sighs> was a very particular reach out into their communities, right? They're probably not going to paint a house in Los Angeles. These guys might actually, they'd be like, we'll do it. Um, (laughs) But you know, if you also want to think about kind of how, how your incentives um, play for very particular audiences, Uh, right? What can I do for the people around me? What can I do for sort of the next circle? And then what can I do for somebody totally across the country who would be so thrilled to, um, you know, get a some cool thing in the mail. Yeah. yeah. Um, As we wrap up here, Emily, do you have any parting words for doc filmmakers that maybe has been sparked from this conversation at all? Yeah, you your entire process is iterative, which is really lends itself to building a sustainable business because it's sort of about you know, experimenting and piecing things together as you go and learning as you go. And that's, a, that's the same exact skill set you need for building a successful business, um, especially in the internet age. 
So as you go thinking about what are the pieces of footage you're collecting that you can seed with your audience um, that may or may not end up in the final film, um, how can you continue to use what you're learning to reach out to different communities and make a space for them to interact? That is as much an important part of your success as a filmmaker, meaning your ability to just like make a living at that thing as making the film itself. We have had the distinct pleasure of speaking with Emily Best, filmmaker and CEO and founder of Seed and Spark. Emily, this conversation has been a long time coming. I know that so many of our TDL listeners are going to be thoroughly delighted for the information that you have given us today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Take care. Don't forget, if you're interested in a guide to help you navigate the fundamental aspects of doc filmmaking, the things that every doc filmmaker should know, then get our free doc filmmaking course, The Documentary Filmmaker's Essential Checklist, by going to thedocumentarylife.com courses. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next episode.